0: Hi, this is Money Honestly. I'm Jana Heron. Today, Dara Singh, a reporter on my team at Yahoo Money and Cache, is joining us. We'll be talking about Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's impact on personal finances. Dara, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's been about a week since we got the news that Justice Ginsburg passed away. And so people are looking back on her life as a Supreme Court justice and even before that as an attorney and looking at the legacy that she left behind, which is huge. But you specifically wanted to look into the personal finance aspect of it, since that's what we do here. So what are some of the things that you found?
1: Sure. So for starters, just as a background, a lot of the coverage kind of has been Ruth Bader Ginsburg being a champion of women's rights. But honestly, she was a champion of just equality overall for all genders and all races. And I think, in short, a lot of the experts that I'm saying, what they brought up to my attention was that she made everyone feel like they were really an active participant in their financial dealings and their personal finances. So just to start off with, I think the, one of the earliest cases where she really made an impact was during her time at the ACLU, where she was there. She was the co-founder of the Women's Rights Project, but she tackled a brief for a case. It was called Reed versus Reed in 1971. Here, a woman blamed her husband for her son's suicide, Sally Reed, And basically, due to the Idaho law, she wasn't able to manage her son's estate. But Ginsburg and another colleague, they wrote a very powerful brief. And that really contributed to the case actually turning in Sally Reed's favor. And from there, it really paved the way for women having, you know, equal access to housing, having equal access to estate, just like any male counterpart would.
0: Wow. Okay, so that was one of the earliest examples that you found where she really just made a a difference and started to pave that way for women. and, And, like you said, for even others to have more control over their own financial trajectory. And so, one of the things you did say is like she did go, it wasn't just about women. And didn't she have some impact by actually taking on a case where it was the man who was being discriminated against.
1: Yes, she did. Actually this was an interesting case. It was it's called Weinberger versus Winesfield. So basically there was a man by the name of Charles Moritz. Excuse me if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but he needed to claim this tax deduction for his mother. But the IRS at the time said that he can't He can't have these claims because not only is he unmarried, but he's a male. And usually what it had worked was if you were a female and let's say you had basically lost a son or whatever, then you would have um, access to these benefits. It was interesting. It's like you read a lot of cases where women are prejudiced against, but this time it was actually a male figure. So by the time she represented this man, and when I went to the Supreme Court, all judges actually favored, and it was unanimous, and they all favored in Moritz's standing, and they said that basically, the Social Security Act of 1935 did violate the right to equal protection in the Fifth Amendment, just that distinction alone about the tax deduction. And this portion of the amendment did state that no person can be deprived of life, liberty, or pro- property without due process. So basically that due process was applied to the social security act. And from there, it was ruled that a man can claim these benefits.
0: Okay. So that's interesting. Cause you think of her as, a, like you said, a champion of women's rights, but it's actually really just, she's a champion of the law being Applied equally to everyone. You also found some interesting things about how she helped bridge um, a gap between women and housing wealth. Can you get into that a little bit?
1: Yes, yes. So, anyone who is really in the housing, if, honestly, anyone and anyone really knows that housing is a key cornerstone of building wealth. We're looking at record high home equity wealth, and it just goes to show that. Just buying a property, even in your own name, is so important. But there was a time way back when, in before the 1970s, where, believe it or not, women, if you weren't married, you would have a hard time getting um, access to credit and signing a mortgage. So basically, the work that she did before 1974, such as in cases like Reed versus Reed, which we talked about, really helped build a solid ground for that. Equal Credit Opportunity Act passed in 1974, and this act made it unlawful, illegal for creditors to discriminate against anyone who really applies for credit based on whatever race you are, religion, color, your sex, your marital status, age, and women were really able to apply for mortgages due to this. It's funny because I actually have talked to a few experts, one of which is Ogechi Iko Bokwe. She's the founder of One Savvy Dollar Personal Finance Platform. And she's openly she openly told me she's like, hey, I'm single, I'm unmarried, and I came to this country when I was 21 years old. And if it wasn't for my ability to buy real estate, I wouldn't have been in this financial position I am today.
0: Yeah. And that was the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. And that was passed, you said 1974. And I think before on one of our previous episodes of Money, honestly, you did talk about how women couldn't get a credit card without their husband, um, like back in the '60s and '70s, early '70s. And this is the—is that the same law that allowed them to be able to get a credit card?
1: Yes, absolutely. That is the same law, and it's very—it's interesting because if you think about it today, especially we're in a pandemic and. A lot of people have lost their jobs, Uh, this is common sense, but there might be a time where you might be on shaky ground with your job, and you might just want to get extra cash just in case, so you take out a cash out refinance, and believe it or not, if if you were a woman back in 1974, and let's say this act never came into being, you wouldn't be able to tap into your home's wealth or anything, so yeah you can this law really this act really helped you getting a mortgage really helped you getting a credit card and it really helped you opening up a bank account without a male figure near you and it also
0: helps you build credit which is also something that's really important to have a good credit score and be able to eventually get good a good mortgage with low mortgage rate if you have a good credit score so really just is the foundation of your financial life. And it's just amazing that before 1974, women didn't have access to doing that.
1: Yeah. And I just think of myself too. I'm just like, just being there, like I have a couple cards myself and I can't imagine just going into a bank with my brother or my dad or- Oh God. other. It would just, one, it would be take up too much time. And then two, it's just- I just, I can't imagine what it must feel like to not feel that equal and have control over your financial future.
0: And so Ginsburg's earliest work, just showing that there's uh, inequality in the way laws are applied, especially when it comes to finances, really helped make this law happen, really just put that foundation together so that,
1: hey, this is a problem, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's it wasn't just... It wasn't just a woman building wealth or a man having access to his social security benefits. He also paved the way for learning potential in so many ways for women to through different court cases. One of the court cases was United States versus Virginia in 1996. So basically, by this time, most of the schools in the United States, if not really all, besides this one, um, were were equal where there were males and there were females but the Virginia Military Institute in 1996 it was still an all male college and basically there was she wrote this majority opinion for that case that stated that it's a constitutional gender equality is a constitutional right and so the admissions policy for the Virginia Military Institute violated the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment basically in a nutshell this clause says that really those in similarly situated areas must be similarly treated and she also made this point that there are a lot there's a lot of generalizations about the way women are but What was appropriate for maybe a woman a couple years ago from society's eyes no, no longer justifies denying opportunity to them, especially as they have tremendous talent and capacity to grow. And we're really seeing the benefits of this now because in an interesting turn of events, actually, more females are attending college than men are.
0: That's true. That is interesting.
1: And then you also said, or you found
0: out that as a Supreme Court justice, she also looked at oh, she presided over a case that touched on equal pay. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yes. This is really this was this one was very interesting. So it's so funny. It's like I have a I know a local Goodyear shop just around where I live. So it's like now whenever I'm gonna see that, I'm gonna remember that case. <laughs> In two thousand and seven, Ledbetter versus Goodyear. So there was a woman called Lily Ledbetter, and basically she had worked and she had worked at Goodyear for like literally close to more than a decade, close to two decades actually, and she had just discovered that her male colleagues were getting paid more than her. Now the interesting thing was that Goodyear tried to. From their perspective on the lawsuit, they were saying that, well, Ledbetter's complaints don't matter because she filed them after the 180-day complaint window they had, which is silly because even as RBG said, and what RBG said in that case, unfortunately, they did rule against Ledbetter and the court didn't turn in her favor, but Ginsburg wrote a great dissent just saying that, well... Ledbetter wouldn't have known in real time that she was being discriminated against. And pay discrepancies are usually hidden from employees. Right.
0: Yeah. And it's one of those things. It's interesting because equal pay is just an issue that's still out there. And we've seen since 2007 moves to make it more transparent. Like people are putting their pay online and things like that so that people have a better idea of whether or not they're getting paid what they are worth. So that's still obviously an ongoing issue. So given everything that you found out about Ginsburg, what is your big
1: takeaway from this? I think the next time anyone goes to apply for a credit card, apply for a debit card, maybe even sees a goodyear next to them um, <laughs> with, no, with no offense to Goodyear whatsoever because I'm just remembering the court case but anytime anytime you see you have a credit card in your hand especially if you're a woman you're just gonna remember that literally privilege privileges this were just paved by so many women before you and and you should just be thankful that you're not in that you weren't living that time period where you had to again get, a male figure to come with you to get this, get these financial opportunities. And also, it's just you just think about like today you have so much opportunity to build wealth, too, and definitely something we shouldn't uh, take for granted. For
0: sure, because it's better if everyone can build wealth and be participants in the economy rather than just white men, for example.
1: Yes, for sure. For sure.
0: Thank you, Dara, for joining us today on Money Honestly, and thank you everyone for listening. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. We'll see you next week.